Hello, Slurds, and welcome to episode 52 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I'll be raising my glass to the books that came out on the 16th of October 2019, as well as talking about other things relevant to the world of comic books. So, uh, be warned, I do have a bit of a potty mouth on me, so sensitive ears, yeah. And this is also a spoiler-based podcast, so... Uh, this is an overview type of situation. So this is for the people that just want a whole new perspective on something they've already read, or for those of you who just don't have time to read it and yeah, still want to be in the know. There's there's a thousand reasons to listen to this podcast. Nevertheless, stuff is going to get spoiled. So before we jump into the overviews, I'm going to talk a little bit of news, and the only news I'm really going to mention are the Ringo Awards. We recently have had some Ringo nominees on this here podcast. Uh, one of them was up a couple of times this this year for Aberrant, and that was uh, Rylan Grant. Unfortunately, Rylan Grant did not win in his uh, two major categories, which is fucking bummer, but he was in there with some monsters. Uh, the, the monster that did win is uh, Brian K. Vaughn. He was in there with like Jeff Lemire and Snyder and... Bendis and I uh, just like I said monsters so good on you for getting in there on your first fucking comic dude and he was also nominated for a uh, single issue of the year and that ended up getting beat by Swamp Thing Winter Special from uh, DC so yeah those were really the two main categories I was most interested in as far as best uh, uh, penciler that's going to go to Fiona Staples. I guess they call it Best Inker. Fiona Staples. So I guess it, it seems like Saga just cleaned the fuck up. Uh, best Series was actually a tie between Black Hammer, Age of Doom, and Immortal Hulk. So that's pretty fucking cool. Fiona Staples. Man, she really did clean up. She got Best Cover Artist. So once again, I would imagine that was for her work on Saga. Tamara Bond Villain got best colorist i think that was well deserved any honestly anyone in that group deserved to win it uh, i don't have the list of all the nominees in front of me but uh, it was it was some heavy hitters and yeah for show uh what else what other fucking let's see here oh best artist or penciler sean phillips okay so that is a a whole separate category. Staples won Inker. Sean Phillips won Artist or Penciler. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything Sean Phillips has done. So, right on. Getting some recognition from the all Ringos. Ringos take place at Baltimore Comic Con. In case you were wondering. And the, really, they don't, from my understanding, they didn't announce a whole lot of stuff at Baltimore Comic Con. It's all about these Ringos, baby. An indie comic creator's fucking... Whew. And not just indie, yeah, all of them, because, you know, we've got Marvel and DC in there and all that good stuff, so. Yeah, that's all I got for the news. I just, you know, I want to make sure that, uh, well, no, you know what? No, I'm not done with this. There's, <laughs> Rylan did win some awards. My bad. Well, he won a, a, one award, a fan favorite award, and possibly the, in the coolest category. We've uh, The categories are favorite hero for a for villain, favorite new series, favorite new talent, and favorite publisher. Well, Rylan took it, took the uh, favorite villain award, the fan favorite villain award, for Lance Cordry from Aberrant. Oh yeah, baby. 
I really gotta go through and read Aberrant. I love the fuck out of Banjax. That is my shit. So there's no reason for me to not go through and do it other than time, to be honest. But uh, but in case you were wondering, the other fan favorite winners, the favorite hero is Toaster Dude. That's a, that's a fucking Webtoons comic. And god damn, like only 24 episodes? And on Webtoons are called episodes. And millions of fucking views already. So Toaster Dude, clearly a fan favorite. Favorite new series is Luff. L-U-F-F, I don't know what that is. Uh, favorite new talent, Angelicious, don't know what that is. But the favorite publisher actually went to Dynamite. So all you uh, Red Sonia, Vampirella, um, yeah, well, you know, Dynamite readers. You were heard. You were heard. So that's what I got for the news. Let's get into the overviews. This week, I'm going to start out my overviews with Marvel. Yes, I know. Most of the time, I start out with indies, but I'm going to change it up just a little bit. And a lot of this had to do with the fact that I needed to make sure that I read X-Men first. (laughs) I couldn't have anything spoiled for me. As it turned out, there isn't really anything to necessarily have spoiled, other than the fact that there, it turns out, reading House and Powers does mean something. (laughs) You know, you got to know, you, you did have to read that to understand a lot of the stuff that goes on here because they do hint at, you know, the, the how the flowers open up portals and all of that stuff. So, well, let me give this book its proper credits. We got Jonathan Hickman, Lionel Francis Yu, Jerry Anaguelan, and Sonny Go. Covered by You and Go. I just got the, uh, well, I did get a couple of covers, but cover A by You and Go. Talk about that other cover later. So, essentially, what it comes down to is uh, this this X-Men team is really the Summers family, from what it seems like, or at least what we, what, what we get out of this issue, uh, with maybe some, some Wolverine action. At least that's what's on the cover here. But uh, before the, they get into all that, we do start out with some action. We get Cyclops, Storm, Magneto, and Polaris. And they're infiltrating this this base where these mutant children prisoners are being kept, and uh, they're they're taken back to Krakoa. I mean, it's it's obviously mission accomplished right off the bat. They're not going to have the mission or the the X Men fuck up on the first mission, you know, you know. So <laughs> yes, no, they they get the kids back, but who kidnapped these kids? Well, that would be Director Devo, and he's the one heading up the Orcus project, and the Orcus project is this whole organization of anti-mutants and that's you know it's got all of them a little bit of everyone a little bit of a little bit of hydra a little bit of shield a little bit of hammer you know you get it so uh all of the mutant haters or those from those organizations who hate mutants that's what orcus is so after you know we'll go back to to, to devo in a minute but first we 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 go to cyclops and he's he's going back home he's gonna eat some fucking uh, he's gonna eat some food a meal of food with his family and they're this the Cyclops home, the Summer's home takes or it's uh it's located out in, in space in one of them there uh X Men pods. <laughs> you know. But because of portals and stuff they're able to get back and forth easily, so yeah. They show up and we've got you know, the X Men family and we've got a Jean Grey and a young cable and Corsair and Vulcan and Cyclops and yes, even motherfucking Alex Havoc in this bitch. What? Ah, Havoc is an X-Men. Ugh, that is so awesome, because that was my favorite part of Astonishing. Anyways, uh, 
So yes, no, I mean, I can go through and explain all the camaraderie that goes in and the dialogue and the, the conversations that, that take place, but, you know, they, they got this weird fucking <laughs> goo that washes the dishes easier because the mutant, uh, mutant technology at this point is just fucking dope. And that's really what I think this book is setting up, is this is, yeah. Uh, the, 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 you're still getting your, your textbook pages, if you will. Uh, and we get a layout of the house. And god damn, if they don't go into full fucking detail of this, you know, this house. And all of the, the levels and floors and rooms and it's the, the schematics and, I mean, damn near fucking blueprints of this bitch. It's, it's incredible what they do. I really do, after reading House... I respect Hickman's way of storytelling much more now. I, I, I dig it. And I think that yeah, you, you do have to be acclimated in. You gotta fucking lube it up a little bit with Hickman. You can't just jump in. The dude's dense. It's thick. <laughs> fucking uh Anyways, uh, so... Uh, but the, the, the thing about the Summers house is it's not just where the Summers family resides. It, it serves big purposes for mutant kind. It's a departure point for first responders, and it's also a potential first strike zone. So that's they don't necessarily touch on any of the details upon that. They just lay down that information for us in Hickman Manor. Let me go back to the Orcus base. We've got Director Killian Devo, and speaking to Dr. Gregor, and Dr. Gregor has this dead husband uh, as of recent and somehow knows how to bring him back and Dr. Killian has thoughts about that. So, you know, a little bit of a cliffhanger. I don't know if it's much of a cliffhanger, but regardless, I'm... 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 Rejoice, X-Men fans, at least in my opinion. I dig it. It's here. We have... We have an X-Men book. The X-Men have landed. Let's move on to Spider-Man number two, J.J. Abrams, Henry Abrams, Sarah Pacelli, Elizabeth D'Amico, and Dave Stewart. Oliver Copiel and Dave Stewart did the cover. All right, so Ben, he, he learns in the last issue that his daddy, Spider-Man, was, he, he was Spider-Man. And he has the suit that Aunt May gives him because he's starting to, as he hits puberty, he's starting to come into his powers. He's getting sticky on the ceilings, and when he goes to push bullies, they go flying through fucking lockers and shit. So, you know, it's, yeah, he's learning that he has spider genes. Well, he, he's not so happy with the suit. He could care less about it, really. He's still not happy with his dad. He's like, oh, shit, my dad was Spider-Man? Oh, that means that's the motherfucker that's responsible for getting my mom killed. Fuck that motherfucker. So, yeah. So, now he's at school, being a kid, doing school stuff, and uh, this girl, this lady girl, has, she suspects something from Ben, something special about him, you know? She notices his ability to punch bullies with great strength. So she straight up says, give me your address, foo. We're going to meet up later. So he gives her the address, and then he goes home and he burns the Spider-Man suit because there's no way in hell he could ever... I mean, it would just kill him if he knew that anyone found out that he was related to Spider-Man. That prick. Well, when she shows up, she knocks on the door, and she's in this whole fucking attire, her costume herself. She's got the goggles on. She's all kind of future punk, if you will. I don't know what the fuck you call it, but... I would just imagine how... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, she calls herself the Marker. And she says, Get your costume, motherfucker! So, he runs out to the grill where he burned the costume, hoping that for some reason it would 
still be there after he just lit it on fire and no it's it's fucking burnt well uh aunt may goes on to say well you know what peter had a whole bunch of these son of a bitches here's another one so he puts on this loosely fitted spider-man costume and the marker and he go out and turns out the uh they're not going out to be heroes or anything like that. They're they're out to warrior the ways of social justice. And they find these... Really, she's a tiger. She spray paints shit, hence the name The Marker. She doesn't have any superpowers or anything like that. She's just uh, there to fuck up in the name... Or fuck shit up in the name of the oppressed. So she goes to some mon-pop building that apparently doesn't offer insurance and spray paints on the windows and shit and gets Ben all tied up into it. And she, you know, she very, during the whole thing, he's reluctant at first and all of that. And uh, she's trying to get him into it and he finds his way. And just as he's coming into it and, you know, learning, oh shit, you know, this is, this is kind of cool. She comments on the fact that he has the best Spider-Man cosplay ever. So he doesn't come out and say, like, he has, he goes out with the Spider-Man costume, but she doesn't think anything of it other than, okay, he's, he's got some, some fucking good taste in cosplay essentially is what I get out of this. Well, as they're tagging and everything, cops show up and, well, it's time to flee. Well, uh, Ben decides that, you know what? I have a feeling that I might be able to do something kind of cool. So he thwips and, well, first try, bam. And they swing the fuck up out of there and shit gets explained to the marker. And while all of this is being broadcast on the news, Peter, he sees this shit and, well, when Ben gets home, from, you know, that he and Marker, they, they part ways, because, you know, they're fucking kids, and they gotta go home and eat dinner and do chores and shit. So he gets home, and Peter's there and says, hey, uh, Spider-Man, so, yes, fucking A, man. I really, really dug this book. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm J.J. Abrams, you know? I, I can't say who would have thought, but who would have thought? I, I did say it, and I meant it. I dig it. He and his son killing it. Fuck it, Pacelli. I dig the art. You know, at first I was kind of back and forth on the art, but nah, I, I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. Let's move on to Guardians of the Galaxy number 10. This is, uh, you know, getting towards the end of the last couple of issues. Donny Cates is run on Guardians before motherfucking Joe Bennett takes over. So, yeah, Donny Cates, Corey Smith, Victor Olazaba, and Dave Kirill. Uh, Patch Zercher and Dean White did this cover, and this cover created a lot of speculation because people, you know, presumed that a certain character would be dying in here, and, well, spoilers, that character doesn't die in here, although he looks like he's about to fucking die in here. So, uh, I guess before I say too much about this book, it is probably, I wouldn't say vital, but... I'm, you probably have to read at least issue six of Teeny Howard's Thanos, if not the whole run. Uh, mostly issue six, just the last few pages, if you you know, you know really are on a time crunch. But that's kind of setting up uh, Magus as a child, and Magus is the future uh, leader of the Universal Church of Truth, and yes, uh, Thanos's future archenemy. So, anyways, we got a young Magus here, and. We get a bit of a backstory as to why he's all alone. He arrived you know, when he arrived originally. The people they were uh, they were uh, or the, the order of the healing truth, and they were pretty much the survivors of the church of truth. The people that that got out 
You know, they escape. They're refugees from this terrible, terrible church. Well, uh, you know, they're known to bring people in. Well, when the person to bring in is Magus himself, they're like, oh, shit, dog. First they bring him in, but it's not long before they try to kill him in his sleep. He wakes up, and Kylo Ren's the fuck out of everything, and, you know, everybody did. So he's there all alone, and all these monsters start kind of coming about, so now he's just there with these monsters. Well, Group Moondagon and Rocket arrive, and Rocket's got this dope mech suit keeping him alive. It's the uh, fucking kind of like Hulk Buster meets Transformer. It's fucking cool. It's way cool. But it's essentially the only thing keeping him alive because he's he's weak. He's dying. The the all of the cyber fucking experimenting genes and shit. That you know they explain his origin story and yeah, they're they're giving out on him. So. Uh, they arrive and say, look, dog, this is what's going on. We could use your help. we got to go take down the, the Church of Truth and rescue Mr. Quill, our Star-Lord. Well, meanwhile, Star-Lord, he's, he's met with the, the new Messiah of the Universal Church of Truth. And by met, I mean he's sentenced to execution <laughs> by his daddy, who is, a, you know, the... Well, I, I don't I don't know what the rankings, but apparently bigger than Messiah. Um, well, yeah, you got this whole room full of pods and all these Drax-like creatures come out, and he's getting attacked, and as he's getting attacked, fucking uh, Rocket and all them motherfuckers they arrive in time before he's dead. Oh, uh, is it the Destroyer Horde? That's what they're calling him because he's back to Drax is back to being Drax the Destroyer, and he's not the Drax. He looks more like the OG Drax, the Drax that we remember, you know, in his first appearances, not the, the the, you know, the the modern day Drax that we're used to seeing. So yes, no, I dig it. I dig it quite a bit. And not a whole lot happens to be honest, you know. It's but it's great storytelling nevertheless. So. Ah, uh, yeah, and you're you're learning that Rockets, if 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 he does in fact go out, yes, he's the character that does not die, as you know the cover portrays. He'll probably die at the end of the arc, so I wouldn't you know I wouldn't be surprised. But yeah, no, I fucking I I dig it quite a bit. Guardians of the Galaxy, number ten. Let's move on to the last Marvel book of the week. Fucking absolute carnage number four. Donny Cates again, Ryan Stegman, J.P. Mayer, and Frank Martin. Covered by Stegman, Mayer, and Martin. Alright, so at this point in time, all of the heroes, they're, they're in the uh, the Maker's extracting machine trying to get these codices out before Carnage can get to them and rip out their fucking spines. So it's up to Spider-Man and uh, Eddie, who is without Venom now because Venom has attached himself to Bruce Banner. And Bruce Banner is outside holding off Carnage from getting in there at this moment. So we get we do get some fight action between a Venomized Hulk and a Venomized Immortal Hulk. That, that makes a difference. And, and Carnage. Unfortunately, it's not much of a fight. <laughs> Carnage is a fucking beast. And... I personally think they do, this is not, i got to say, this isn't a, a, a My Opinion Counts podcast. It's not a review type of thing, but I, I still got to say, get it off my chest, I think they did Hulk dirty. I think that they, they really built, built up that fucking uh, um, issue three, that cliffhanger. And he even got a tie-in that was kind of meh, a little slow. 
And then when we get the fight, you know, Hulk gets his fucking spine ripped out. Bruce Banner is just, you know, there. He's just there at this point. He's not Hulk anymore. Venom symbiote be gone. And, well, uh, Spider-Man, he's in charge of uh, helping, you know, hoarding the kids. So it's up to, the main point of this whole book is it's up to Eddie Brock with the uh, with no symbiote. The only thing he has are the weapons laying on the ground of the, the Avengers that are in the machine. So by that I mean Captain America's shield is what Eddie Brock pretty much steps out there with. Some gauntlet. I'm not sure whose gauntlet that would be, but... Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. So he goes out there, and you know, you know he puts up more of a fight than fucking <laughs> Hulk does. At least that we see. I'm sure on pages unknown, unbeknownst to us, that really should be drawn because it's Ryan Stegman drawing. We could just could we get that issue? That that's the tie-in I want. A silent issue of just Stegman drawing Venomized Hulk versus Dark Carnage. Boom. That's a fucking tie-in. Anyways. Uh, yeah, and fucking Eddie goes out there, and it's up to him, and he's, he, uh, he's the first person he's got to face before he gets to Carnage, now I think about it, it's actually fucking Miles Morales, so this takes place before Miles comes to, uh, before Evil Dan, I guess, I don't know, but Eddie, he's able to shock the, the symbiote somehow, some way, and that, that, that goes away, and then, bam, Avengers arrive, so the Avengers are holding off everything. We get a fucking fight in the streets with all the fucking uh, the cult of carnage and all of that shit. It's dope. It's dope as fuck. It's dope as shit. Well, Eddie realizes that Maker's Machine, uh, as you know, it's there to extract these codices, but it's not destroying them like the Maker originally said. It's actually collecting them. So that's a big fucking issue because. <laughs> It's just setting up. Now, if Carnage gets to this thing all on his lonesome, he's got them all right there. Mission over. So, Eddie, he goes to the thing, this machine, and he fucking somehow punches a hole through it. It takes him some time. He doesn't, doesn't go up and punch a hole through it. But he gets through the machine, and all of the symbiotes fucking start to take over, and we get this... Oh, we get Venom, and his fucking... We don't know if it's Venom, but he's, he, he's bonded again. And I want to say he's bonded with... All of them is what it feels like. It's bonded with fucking all of them. Or at least all of the Avengers symbiotes that have been put through here at this point in time. And he spreads his fucking wings and he goes after goddamn Dark Carnage as he flies off. Because he's super confident because he just got the Immortal Hulk fucking symbiote now. So he, he fucking leveled up and shit. Dude, gnarly shit. Gnarly shit. Issue 5 is going to be fucking tremendous. I hope we get a 60 pager again. Or even a 40-pager. I don't care. I'll pay extra. I get it. You know, fucking, I hope you're listening. I will. I'll pay extra for it. Because you set some shit up. And the cliffhangers have been kind of coming into the next issue as a dud. And then just leaving us with another big cliffhanger again. I would like to think that this thing, the story that Case has put together. Oh, dude. Come on, guys. Eddie Brock with all of the Avengers symbiotes. That's gnarly as shit. Whew. All right, um, let's let's move on to DC now. Let's let's do that. Kick off DC Comics with Nightwing number sixty-five, Dan Jurgens, Ronan Cliquette, and Nick Filardi, covered by Bruno Redondo. All right, Talon versus Rick on the top of a roof. Rick is there. He's protecting his his girly, his bee, and 
Um, yeah, well, we realize that in this fight, Talon, he's not trying to deadify Rick. He ain't trying to kill him. He wants him to, uh, he wants to welcome him to the family. Yeah, check that out. So then we realize that he's he's got ties to the family, and then that tie just so happens to be that Talon is Rick's great-grandfather, despite how young and rejuvenated he may seem. But yes, he is Rick's great-grandfather. And, uh, well, that... It's... It is a whole lot of dialogue. I wouldn't say it's a whole lot of dialogue, but it... it there's there's not a lot to say really other than the fact that while the this not really a fight is taking place down below all the other nightwings are doing everything they can to keep order in bloodhaven because of all these blackouts and riots and all of that shit <clears throat> there um but then we start seeing this the sky turn green and i realize this becomes a pattern in dc books this week so this this is leading into some some Lex Luthor shit, but they don't really touch on it. It's some year of the villain stuff that, yeah. Um, but really, what we get out of this whole thing is at the end of this whole dialogue between he and Talon, uh, Rick's he becomes convinced, and the the next time you see him, he's he's wearing Talon's goggles, so he's uh he's becoming a uh, an assassin of the Quarter Owls. Possibly, I don't know. I don't know. I think they're setting up some cool stuff. I, I'm I'm digging Nightwing. I like it. I like it a lot. Keeping it with the Bat Family. Batman number eighty-one. All right. Tom King, John Romita Jr., Tomal Moray, covered by John Marina Jr. and Jansen. All right. Thomas Wayne. Well, he has Damien all tied up. And it looks like this is it for him. Well, the Bat Family arrive. Bum, ba, da, bum. And they're all there. Everyone from Signal to Tim Drake. And yeah, we get a bit of a uh, have at it between Tim Drake and Thomas Wayne. And well, uh, I take that back. But, but really, we get a have at it between all of them. We see a sequence of every. Everyone in the Bat Family, I believe, gets their own moment of glory where they're just fucking Thomas Wayne up. And, yeah, no, he's, uh, it's not looking good for him. At all. But, while all of that is happening, Batman and Catwoman are making their way back into Gotham. And... We, we learn some things. We learn some things. Like, the Joker that we saw a couple issues ago isn't isn't the Joker, it was Clayface, like so many of you guessed. Um, and really, Batman, he, he hired Clayface to infiltrate and watch over the city while he was gone. And Yeah. Well, the, the big reveal in all of this is the origin of Gotham Girl's powers. And kind of a, the, a, a big motivation for a, a huge part of this story, to be honest. And that... that origin of Gotham Girl's powers being that it came from a super powerful venom serum that, you know, Bane had. And that, that you know, through Tom King dialogue, we learned that <laughs> uh, this was kind of the uh, 
Batman had the only remaining sample of this this serum after all of the other shit was supposedly destroyed, and Bane wanted it back, and he kind of, it seems, as if he really developed Gotham Girl and her brother, whose name I, is escaping me, but he's dead now, so I guess it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, he, he kind of created them to essentially help break the bat. So, yeah, a little bit of information dropped there. I guess it's kind of big information because Gotham Girl really, um, and I don't think any, well, I can't say, can't say that. A lot of people don't realize the magnitude of her powers. She is overpowered as fuck. Like, I, I don't think she'd have a problem going toe-to-toe with Superman to give you any idea how, how fucking powerful she seems to be. Well... Back to the the fight and you know between the Bat family and all them motherfuckers. Thomas Wayne he he's getting up, he's getting up after getting his ass whooped, and uh, I don't remember uh, what's her name fucking ah shit, can't remember her name. Orphan, haha. She goes to shoot this fucking crossbow at Thomas Wayne and he catches it and he stabs fucking Tim Drake with it. And then you you get this oh fuck moment, and the next thing you know, all the Bat family they're just laying there, and you don't know if they're. I mean, you can't, you wouldn't think that they're all dead. You wouldn't think they're dead, but they ain't moving. And Thomas Wayne, he's he give <laughs> he flat out says, you know, I'm I'm Batman. <laughs> like that's that that's how the book fucking ends. Ah, uh, dude, dude. I I'm liking City of Bane again. I like uh, it, it's just a it's odd storytelling that I'm not used to in comics. It's just everything Tom does throws me for a loop. But I'm fine with it. I dig it. It's it's gone back up. It's not the dreamy stuff anymore. This is all very real. And oh the oh fuck that was the other thing that really threw me off. Is it uh, Batman's explaining throughout all of this is that this has all been a part of his plan. All the way up until even possibly even Alfred's death is what I is what I gathered from this. Like a soldier had to fall. I think it's a, a piece of dialogue that's or inner dialogue that's thought. <laughs> and the, at this point in time, the only soldier that actually took that fall is Alfred. I don't I don't know, man. That's fucking ruthless. Sacrifice your boy like that? Jeez. I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong too. That's just what I gathered out of this. Keep in mind, listeners, I'm fucking stupid. Uh, Metal Men. All right, Metal Men number one. Dan Didio, Shane Davis, Michelle Delecki, and Jason Wright. Covered by Davis Delecki and NS Studio. So, uh, 12-issue maxi-series. Don't know anything about Metal Men, but I'm anxious. I was very anxious going into this, thinking I'm going to at least give number one a try and see what kind of tone I get from Didio's writing, because, or Didio, whatever you want to call him. Uh, you know, because he's a fucking big wig at DC, and you know, let's see what his chops are doing. He's there judging all of his other uh, creators and shit, so let's, let's see what he's capable of doing. Turns out he's capable of writing a pretty fucking intriguing number one about some characters that I knew nothing about. And really the premise that drug me into this, it wasn't more than anything, it was bringing in dark metal again, and nth metal, and a book called Metal Men. So imagine those fucking possibities, and I'll be damned if we don't get a little tickle of that. 
So Will Magus, he's the guy in charge of creating the Metal Men, which are these super AI robotic type of creatures, and they're, you know, they're, they're, they're hyper-fucking-advanced. Hyper-hyper-advanced. And, but as Will Magus, he's, he's not really into what he's done, he's, he's down on himself, his creations, his work, whatever, he's just not happy. Uh, but before we get more into that, we go over to Challenger's Mountain, which just so happens to take place right outside of here in Denver. Uh, I've yet to go to Challenger's Mountain. <laughs> but they find the largest nth metal, uh, vein, uh, known to man. Right here. So, with that deposit being found, you can only imagine the, the possibilities, the, the, the shit that could come out of this. Well, when someone like Will May just gets their hands on something like that, you, right, you get it? Yes, there will be an Nth Metal AI is what this all leads up to. But, but we do get a bit of a fuck you moment between he and his team, because you might wonder if he's all down on himself, what are the Metal Men doing? Or, you know, what's all tin and gold and iron and uh, mercury, and there's one more I'm sure of it, but I can't remember. Well, the, the fact of the matter is they, they realize that uh, the, this Will Magus, you know, through, through all of their, their long lives and stuff that's happened to them, they realize they haven't just, they haven't necessarily all sur survived in the manner that they, they, they really imagined. They, they have all been rebuilt and they're, they're somehow they, they stumble across this room full of scrap parts and shit, old versions of themselves and... They get a little upset. They, they feel like they've been lied to, and yeah, bit of a fucking bummer there. But nevertheless, we, we get a, an nth metal AI that has sprung its way about, so I, I'm, I, I'm in it. I'm going to check it out. Like I said, the, the first issue intrigued me. I like Didio's style of writing. I haven't been able to, you know, I, I've yet to check it out, at least that I'm aware of, so yeah. And that's how I'm going to wrap up. DC's books this week, you might be realizing that there's not a whole lot of books in the overview section this week. And frankly, overall, it really was lighter. I do kind of have a lot to talk about in honorable mentions, but yeah, um, yeah, it is what it is. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes you get an hour episode. Sometimes you get an hour and a half episode. It's just This might be a shorter one. We'll see how much I talk about these next three. These indies this week, we've got one out of Oni Press, Rick and Morty, Dungeon, Verse Dungeons and Dragons, Chapter 2, Issue Number 2, Jim Zub, Troy Little, Leonardo Ito, cover by... I Well, I went with the, the character sheet cover again, Zub and Little. So, yeah. The, the last issue, <laughs> it put Rick and Morty in Rick's original creation of his first... Uh, his first D&D game that he kind of created, or the first world that he kind of created on his own. And yeah, well, this this issue kind of steps away from that just a little bit. We really, we don't get Rick in modern time here. We get some flashback Rick. We get Rick playing D&D &D for the first time in 1979. And uh, all the irony in this one, because he just wants to play a bard. He wants to play a bard real fucking bad, and if you understand, or if you don't, you know, get the irony in that, you'd have to read the first chapter. When really, essentially, all Rick does is trash talk the 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 bard character. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so 
the DM. He says, you want to be a bard? It's way too overpowered, man. You got to roll for it. And he's fucking killing it. Bam. Meeting all the rolls until that last one. And he botches it. Doesn't get to play a bard. Well, this spawns the the creation of uh, Wizardric and all these other, you know. Yeah. Well, these uh, flawed failures that have found their way into the folio of Rick. It's actually called the Folio of Flawed Failures. I wasn't being... Yeah, I, I can't take credit for that. So, anyway, um, they managed to make their way into the real world, jackass, and into the Smith house, and they are there for revenge. Well, uh, Rick... Well, I guess we do get Rick in his own... Yeah, no, we do touch on Rick in, in real time. While well, he's out questing on his own, he's going through, he's fucking shit up, but he's trapped in there, and he's got to find his way out. And he comes across this entity, and the entity plays a trick on him and brings him all the way back to the beginning of the game. And he says, you know what? I'm wizard motherfucking Rick, and I'm going to build a portal gun. Well, builds a portal gun, it doesn't work, and then he remembers that he made rules back in this world. Uh, you know, there's no, no sci-fi allowed. No sci-fi, no technology allowed in this universe, so no portal gun. He's got to figure it all out on his own. So, yeah. Oh, and then, you know, uh, fucking Jerry and uh, what's-her-face. They show up. It's real, you know, Summer and Morty. They're, uh, they're being attacked by monsters. Now, what I find super fucking intriguing about this is, yes, you know, you, it's the classic trope of parents coming home to fucking a rowdy party or whatever. No, this is D&D &D World, and in D&D &D World... In D&D world, Jerry is the motherfucking man. I cannot wait to see Jerry in these last two issues because he killed it. He killed it in those fucking, in that first chapter. So, yes, yes, I, this is, this is a great fucking series. Moving on to Boom Studios, we've got Something is Killing the Children, number two. James Tinney and the Fourth, Werther Deladera and Miguel Muerta. I want to say that the, the, the cover is also by Werther Deladera. Uh, I'm not sure. But, yes. The art's very reminiscent and similar, so I would imagine so. Anyways, uh, you know, the first issue of this came on heavy and strong and bloody and violent and gory. And this one, it took a it backpedaled big time. There's nothing strong, violent, bloody, or gory about this. Really, this is our unknown monster hunter, big-eyed lady, and James, the survivor of the, the terrible, gruesome death of all of his, you know, the rest of his friends and all that shit in the forest. Well, they need a place to meet up. A meeting base. Well, they choose apple beams. Yeah, apple beams. So they go into apple beams and... Flat out tell this waiter, hey, brah, we want that booth whenever we want. And we're going to give you $50 every day that we need it. Plus, we're going to order food. And we're going to tip and all this other stuff, Mr. Manager, dude. So, he says, okay. And they allow it. And then the other staff members like, hey, that's who's that weird chick? And why is that kid James, who's super suspected, should be in school, not in school right now, meeting with them? And while all that's going on, she's 
blatantly talking about how the reason she has all of this money is because that she photocopied it at a Kinko's or some shit like that. I'm pretty sure Kinko's isn't going to let you do that. No, for a fact, Kinko's isn't going to let you do that. So, ah, you know, ah, this one. And then, you know, they hint on this octopus thing for a quick second. James is like, hey, what's that octopus? And she's like, I don't want to talk about that octopus. And then... The waiter, the manager comes back up and says, here's your 50 bucks. We don't want you any here, here anymore. You guys are weird. Go away. And then they split up. And then the, the hunter girl, who still doesn't have a fucking name, goes to the hotel where she's staying. And then the manager's like, hey, no weird shit. So apparently he automatically recognized. I don't know. I don't know. I... <sighs> I guess what we get out of this thing, the one exciting thing, is after the cops are called on her for being suspicious by the uh, man, or hotel manager, they open the door and that weird octopus that was stuffed animal thing that was just very, very, very lightly touched on has this spirit thing coming out of it after she just spoke to it before the cops. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, nothing killed the children in this one. Uh, <laughs> I, I might, I'm gonna probably have to give issue three one more shot and hope it's just kind of that, that issue number two syndrome. I've been more picky about giving issue number twos the, uh, that second chance lately, but because of how much I enjoyed the first one, you know, I, I'm, uh, yeah, it's got me for one more, but whew, I don't understand what the point of this issue was. I don't. Most of it was just, Let's find a base. Oh, we can't be here? Oh, okay. So, I don't know. I don't know. You know, you, you, you know, old listeners know I don't like to talk down on comics at all, but I, I, I do get frustrated when I get confused, and I'm confused here. This is just a big why. Why? But, whatever. Uh, more Boom Studios. Let's keep it going. Last overview of the week, but we are going to end on a happy note. We've got Once in Future... Number three, Kieran Gillen, Dan Mora, and Tamara Bond villain. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ringo Award winner. Not for once in the future, but yeah. You color one thing good, you color them all good. That's the beautiful thing about being a colorist is, yeah, I guess you could have different styles, but yeah, wh- whatever. Uh, Dan Mora did the cover. So, Duncan and Graham, they escaped Ar- Arthur's army. And they do it in a quick fashion right off the bat, and... Graham acknowledges that Duncan may in fact be a natural because them escaping the army isn't them sneaking away and being sly about it. No. Magic Gatling gun motherfuckers just and it's Duncan holding that bitch. So they're able to get out of there. Duncan carries Graham because, you know, she's a badass, but she's still, she's old and winded. Gets her the fuck up out of there and... Yeah, well, uh, Graham, she's, she mentions something about Bristol University and his connection to this uh, Dr. Chunky or something like that, and he is a successor, and Duncan says, oh, dog, that Rose chick that, you know, you, you interrupted the date with, she goes to Bristol University. Coincidence? So they go to Bristol University, and she pulls a gun on her, uh, Graham pulls a gun on Rose, is what I mean to say, as soon as the door opens up. But that's just her way of saying hello these days, I guess. <laughs> She's not a friendly old lady. But 
she shows him a way or through this university into this area and then they learn something about something and we realize that this sword that Arthur has isn't necessarily Excalibur but it is still this sword in the stone type of situation and if Arthur gets this grail then he may possibly be able to obtain I don't I don't I'm kind of confused a little bit but I would imagine that it's all going to come to light I must have missed something or maybe you know I don't I don't know but nevertheless I was still very entertained I mean, it's 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 an easy book to look at, that's for sure. <laughs> Fucking Mora and Bond villain. Whew. Artist spectacular. But, yeah, well, okay, so they make their way to Arthur, and he's, he's pulling the sword from the stone, and he's got his newly appointed, I don't know her, I don't remember her name, and my fault for that, but uh, her, she's the, the Merlin type of character to this Arthur. And she's got a son. A son that she had already named Galahad and had been training his entire life for this moment. And that moment is to be knighted by uh, Arthur so that he is then anointed to find the grail. He is the one to do it. Well, Graham is in the background saying, Not in my house, motherfucker. And she's putting this thing together. And this thing that she's putting together is a, uh, it's a sniper rifle. And the last shot of the book is Galahad's head in the scope of this here rifle. So, <laughs> regardless of what happens, whether the shot goes off or not, you know it's fixing to be fucking gnarly. Gnarly. I'm digging the shit out of Once in Future. I'm so glad I picked this up. I am so glad I picked this up. Because I, I it almost escaped me. Uh, a fellow, uh, fellow comic reader had to remind me of it. And... Whew, fuck, so good, guys, so good. So that's all I've got for the uh, overviews this week. I hope that, you know, for anybody that wanted to or didn't have the opportunity to read something or you're just kind of getting in for the first time and don't know where to start and you are looking for some insight, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, there's, there's plenty of reasons, but yeah, those are my overviews of the week. This next segment I like to call honorable mentions now if you're not familiar with the honorable mentions segment this is when i go through and i talk about the other books that i picked up it didn't necessarily make the overviews but like i like i said and have proven in the past in very recent past the that doesn't necessarily mean that i didn't like it or it was bad i couldn't necessarily find talking points or maybe i'm saving it for uh, another something else yeah or maybe, yeah, I don't know, I have my reasons, but I didn't feel it necessary to divulge an entire few minutes to these particular books. So let's get on with it. The first book in the honorable mentions comes from Image Comics, and it is The Realm number 15. The reason why The Realm is an honorable mentions is because it's something that, well, A, I need to catch up on because I fell behind on, and B... Uh, it's, I feel like it's more of a binge book than anything, and uh, despite the fact that I buy these in issues, I believe that I have the first two volumes in trade, or at least the first volume, definitely at least the first volume in trade as well, so I, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's something that I feel like is probably better read in bulk. Uh, speaking of which, from Dark Horse Comics, American Gods, Moment of the Storm number six, same kind of situation, but my, my big excuse for it not 
being read on its release week is because I have yet, I'm a major fan of the show. And I know I don't talk about movies or TV on this podcast, but I am a huge fan of the show. And I very much loved the, the first run of American Gods, uh, the, the comic series that came out right around the same time of that first season. But I fell behind on the show, and I read the first issue of this Moment of the Storm and realized, oh shit, I have a feeling this is going to spoil some stuff for me that's going to take place in the show, and I just I don't want to have that ruined. So I got to go through and I, I'm going to binge the show and then I'm going to binge the book and we'll see if I talk about it. But regardless, I I, I got to have it. Uh, more from Dark Horse, we've got The Mask. I pledge allegiance to The Mask. Did read this book. I did enjoy this book. This shit is dark. It is violent. It is gruesome. The reason why it didn't make the honorable mentions is because... It's really, for one, I was kind of confused, and I didn't. I don't like to uh, give you guys any misinformation, but uh, what I gather from this is we've got a presidential candidate who gets his hand, hands. He has both his hands, hands on this here mask, and he's going through and he's annihilating the competition. So, fuck, <laughs> gnarly as shit, man. From Image Comics, we've got The Marked, number one. Now, what I, I didn't actually pick up this book on Wednesday. I, I came back a couple days later and grabbed it. Uh, David Hine and Brian Haberlein, I'm huge fans of. Ger, uh, Jerry R. Van Dyke. Gerard Van Dyke. Uh, I would imagine that's Gerard Van Dyke. Uh, I was so attracted to what Sonata was until I realized how much of a love story it is. I'm not much of a love story reader, so unfortunately I had to drop it. As much as it hurt me, I dropped Sonata. And then the next week, The Marked comes out. I'm like, oh, fucking perfect. I'm going to get this shit again. Beautiful book. Beautiful, beautiful interiors. The story is just fine. Unfortunately, I don't have any interest in teenage witches so and you know any, uh, I really really hope to see Dave and Hine and and crew and Haberlein and Van Dyke come together another time third time's the charm to put something together and it's not like the story's bad it just doesn't draw me in is all it's well told for sure from Action Lab Danger Zone we've got Amalgama. I've been practicing saying that word. Space zombie. So, uh, essentially, I really just picked this one up because it's a number one. And I guess for speculative purposes more than anything. But I did open it up. And as soon as I opened it up, uh, there's boobies. <laughs> there's a whole... It's, it's really... It's just tits and blood in this whole fucking issue. That's all it is. It's tits and blood. So, if you're into that kind of thing... This is your shit. <laughs> I'm not into the zombie tramp and any of that stuff. I don't have anything against it, and I don't judge anyone that, that is, by any means. Fucking buy this shit. But, I, it's just, I, I, I won't be getting number two. I'm happy I have number one, though. And I'm not going to let any, any little nephews or nieces or anything like that get a, get a hold of them. Because that's a, whew. That's something else. Uh, on to the Marvel honorable mentions. We've 
It's mostly Absolute Carnage tie-ins. I'm realizing that I don't, I don't I'm not a fan of these tie-ins. I, I'm reading them. Well, not all of them. I'm not reading Scream, and that is that's the first one I'm bringing up here. It is Absolute Carnage Scream number three, so this is the third one of that three-part mini. I just, I don't know anything about this character. I did read the first issue, and I was just lost. I, I, I really, I was lost, and frankly, I, I wasn't left with any interest in finding it. Uh, but I, I continued to buy them for, I mean, besides the fact that I'm a completionist, and when I commit to an event, I, I go all in. Uh, fortunately, I can't say fortunately, this is the first time that I've been this disappointed in tie-ins. <laughs> Uh, but that's, that's besides the point. But, yeah, no, it was, it was, I, yeah, I don't have anything to say about Scream. When Scream becomes a big deal in continuity and the other titles, then, and I feel inclined to read it, I will. But until that day <coughs> happens, yeah, it's gonna sit there and just be uncracked. Absolute Carnage vs. Deadpool number three of three, Frank Thierry. Ah... Alright, so this turned out to be more of a, a Spider-Man Deadpool book, which is cool. Spider-Man Deadpool vs. Carnage on paper seems like, you know, it's great. Unfortunately, the, the writing style itself just didn't capture me. I felt felt like Frank Thierry's not really in the mind of Deadpool, or even Spider-Man for that matter. I'm not sure this is... I don't know. It's just... I'm going to have to go through and do some research on this writer. Because it just doesn't... I don't know. Uh, but the the art was great. Don't get me wrong. The art was fucking incredible. And the premise of the story was cool. But I, I don't I don't feel like when it's all said and done, being the final issue of a, you know, a three-part tie-in to a major event, I don't feel like it meant anything. So, yeah. Uh, Absolute Carnage, The Avengers, number one... I will actually say that despite I, I've had this uh, this argument with a few people that a lot of these tie-ins are the stories just told through another lens and it's just rehashed stuff. Kate's give you know they they, they read Kate's script and Kate's gives them you know a slight direction and yeah they just say okay well uh, frankly I feel like to be perfectly honest. I feel like the, a lot of the writers, not all of them, but a lot of the writers are lazy on, on, on this event. I don't know if they don't have the respect for Cates yet because he's a newbie and he's getting this huge tie-in event and this massive... I mean, he's getting Venom and reshaping Venom, the Venom universe with Carnage and all of this stuff. Like, we, we can't deny the fact that Cates is a massive part of Marvel continuity right now, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Uh, based off of what I've seen in the tie-ins and the writers participating in this, I feel like maybe there's the, the respect's not there yet. I, I don't know. Maybe that's... The, I don't know. But an exception to that would be Kelly Thompson and what she did with the Avengers here. She really did put... Now, this, this is... Something, we, we all know all of this happened already. The Avengers show up to save the day at one point in time. So this takes place before they jump into the Maker's Machine. Uh, but this is the story of how they all kind of come together and find their way into one spot. And really, Thing, and it, uh, it's not necessarily the Avengers. It's Captain America, Wolverine, and Thing. 
they're already kind of in together in the beginning of this. And then Hawkeye, he's he's in San Francisco. And then the, the trio, they realize they got to get to San Francisco. And yeah, they, they all find themselves in San Francisco. And guess who else is in San Francisco? Motherfucking Venom. Eddie Brock. So yeah, I thought it was really cool how this all came together. But I didn't feel... Like, I could have really said much more than what I had told you and given this book a proper spot on the overview section without drawing it out 12 minutes and giving you a frame-by-frame because it was just a quick wrap-up type of situation. All right, let's move on to DC. DC Vertigo to start it out, Lucifer number 13. This book is consistently made the honorable mentions only because I really do strive to catch up with this one day. <laughs> I, I've fallen behind, but the issues I do read are fucking gnarly as shit. Uh, Waters and Fuamara and McKeg, of, they, they just do a great, great job on this book. I really do dig it when I do read it. Uh, but... Eh. I, I guess the reason why I'm shouting it out and not er, and excusing it from the overviews is, I guess more than anything, is to remind readers that, hey, if you missed it, it came out. That's my excuse. Justice League, number 34. I really wanted to have this book in the overview section. Probably deserved to, but once again, I feel like I, I don't think I could have kept it under 10 minutes. And I... Uh, yeah, um... At the same time, I was kind of, I guess a little bit of me was frustrated too, because we had this whole build-up, it looked like everything was coming together, the past Avengers, the future Avengers, and I guess I do got to keep in mind that I I think I might have forgot to read issue 33, because it came out on the off week, but whatever. Uh, yeah, that, that's probably what hurt this issue for me, and why I wasn't able to explain it as well as I would have hoped, but... What it all comes down to is, in the end, Perpetua, she arises, everything's looking good, everything's looking good, and then everything's really fucking bad. So, yeah. You know, and I think, uh, I think I got a little Kingdom Come Superman came up out of there, too. So, nostalgia? Uh, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, number one. Batman Nightfall. All hail Saint Batman. All right. Uh, well... Oversized issue, prestige format, cool book. It's not necessarily an Elseworld thing, but it's a dark multiverse situation. And really, we get a first appearance of Saint Batman, and this is in a universe where Bruce Wayne. He's a. It's it's a fucking gruesomely dark book. I really did enjoy the shit out of this book, but like I said, it's an oversized book and. A panel by panel, just uh, I, I I don't want. I'm trying to maintain your guys's interest, guys. <laughs> I'm trying to maintain it. So, uh, it's it's just take this from it. It's dark. It's badass. It's an amazing concept that sets up so much more, and it's a first appearance of Saint Batman. So, yeah, speculators. Yeah. Uh, if you're a casual reader, this is definitely a book for you casual reader for sure if you're just like i want to read a fucking comic and i don't care about continuity i just want to be entertained read this book uh oh scott snyder and kyle higgins teaming up uh javier fernandez and can't remember your first name guillamaris so yes uh another oversized excuse this week is superman year one number three frank miller john ramita jr 
uh, well, I so as I was reading this, I felt like I was reading Sin City. The pacing, the way the story was told, very artsy. Probably could have been told in 15 pages, to be honest. But that's what makes this book art. And I, I, and I guess it sounded bad when I said it could have been told in 15 pages. You could have got a mediocre... You could have got this story told to you in 15 pages, and it, it, it could have just been sufficient. But because Miller told the story in the manner that he did with this... It really did come together nicely. And the main focal points we get out of this is we get the inner... He, he, uh, Superman leaves Atlantis damn near right off the bat. To uh, be, And that's because Lois Lane comes into his life. She crashes into the ocean. Ah, fuck, I should have just put this in the overviews. Oh, whatever. So he crashes into the ocean, saves her, falls in love, but falls in love as Superman... Realizes, oh, she's a reporter. I'm gonna go to school. I'm gonna become a reporter. He develops the the the, the person or the reporter persona, and that f- somehow gains the attention of Lex Luthor. So yes, Lex Luthor makes his way into the story, and Batman makes his way into the story because Lex Luthor uh, wants the Batman gone, and he tries to convince Superman that the Bat is bad, and we get a little bit about pow pow. Martha up in this bitch, and yeah, I dug it, I really, uh, admittedly through the first half of the book, maybe even the first three quarters of the book, almost up until Lex Luthor, I was like, alright, cool, I get it dude, you're good at telling a story, it's not my story though, I think I'm just gonna close it on this, and then Lex Luthor happened, and mm, that shit was fucking dope, so... That's what I got for honorable mentions, y'all. I know it was a little thick. That kind of ran on a bit, but still want to make sure that books do get props in some way, shape, or form. If I'm going to buy it, you're going to hear about it. And that brings me to the last little bit of my stack here, the wall books. This is the pretty stuff, the stuff that is going to make its way onto the wall at some point in time. And it's it's covers is what it is. This is the... And the reason why I feel like this segment is so deserving is because most people, especially new readers, it's, you know, they say don't judge a book by its cover. Comics can be, I mean, they're often judged by their covers, and that's why the <laughs> a lot of these titles are commissioned sometimes 50 fucking covers because they need to make sure that everybody, every type of eye in there uh, has some sort of means to be drawn to it. Some books only get one cover, but that's, yeah, that's besides the point. So, with all of that being said, I know what you're thinking, old readers. <laughs> Dude, shut the fuck up. Yes, no, I am kind of catering to the, you know, these, these new readers. You know, they don't need to be bullied coming into comics. You know, you fucking ease it in there. Like I said earlier, a little bit of Vaseline. Lube it up. It's going to be good. So, let's get on with the wall books. No fucking gabbing. Jesus Christ, take a drink of beer, Brian. The beer this week, causing all the mumbling and stumbling and rambling, is a little bit of Oktoberfest from Samuel Adams. It's good stuff. They are not a sponsor of this podcast, unless they want to be. X-Men, yes, picked up the art germ variant. Um, will it go on the wall? I'm not sure. Art germ is, unless most of the time, unless it's Catwoman or Poison Ivy, um... I'm not usually drawn to the female characters, but this is kind of a speculative pickup for me, I guess. 
but still I, I can see it making making its way onto the wall. Now, most of the time, my wall books usually are virgin covers or the DC semi-virgin covers. Very little trade dress unless it's just a fucking complete banger, like Francesco Mattina type of shit. This one, I have a feeling, I, I, I really, really like the trade dress for these X-Books. Because it's just a, a circle logo. Very, it blends in nicely, I believe, with the art. You almost don't even realize it's there. It almost looks like Gene's putting, uh, producing this in this uh, on this cover. So, uh, I, I, if these the the X trade dress and all of the books stay in this manner, then there's probably going to be a few of them making the wall for sure. But fact is, this art germ variant. The more I look at it, the more. I realize it is it is really really good. I, I I'm more drawn to the background than anything. Fuck that's cool. Art German is backgrounds, you know. Oh, Justice League, another book I purchased twice. Francesco Mattina, he's gonna be featured uh, from here on out on the wall book section. Fucking Justin, Justin, Justice League number thirty-four. Francesco Mattina, this is a Justice League fucking variant. God damn is this cool. You get them all. It's on his white background, which I'm kind of... Oh, it really throws off the composition of my wall. Every time he does one of these white background books, I have to reformat my wall to keep the composition correct. But I'm not mad at it because fuck is it beautiful. Especially in this Mylar case that I put these wall books in. Mm-mm-mm. Cyborg is really the focal point in this. Uh, honestly, everyone else is kind of a... Uh, a side note, Wonder Woman's kind of posed a little awkwardly, um, but <laughs> and Batman, you don't really see much of him there. In the background, he's John Stewart's looking pretty good. Superman's a little shadowy. Flash is dope, the way he's just kind of coming in like that, but still a small drawing. It's Cyborg, is my point. Cyborg by Matina turns out fucking amazing. Holy shit, is that a good cover? And then we've got some Batman 81. So, yes, just, uh, yeah, I, I, I double bought some books. Double bought some books. But Matina doing a Breaking the Bat cover? Are you fucking kidding me? Yes. God damn, is this good. The dude knows how to use green. Between his Spawn covers and his Bane covers, fuck, do I love this dude's fucking way of using green. I dig it. Anybody out there that says this cover is stolen could eat a fucking dick because, uh, this, oh man, this is great. This is great. Yep, I'm just drooling all over this podcast. All right, guys. So that does it for wall books and all of the other good stuff. At this point, I'm going to kind of rehash the stuff just to uh, highlight a few things. I used to call this segment my top picks, but... I don't, I, I, I don't want this to be an opinion-based podcast. However, I'm going to spin this, and I'm going to call this top acknowledgments. These are the books that I do think deserve the most recognition, and for whatever reason, if you were running the vacuum or something like that, someone was blowing the horn while I was talking about a certain segment, and you missed something, I want to make sure that, yes, certain things are highlighted. And the first one is going to be my cover of the week. I, 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 it's, it's, it's tough between the two Matina covers, but I, fuck, originally I wrote down Justice League, but I don't think I looked, I looked hard enough at this 
Batman cover. So yes, no. Yes, no. Batman number 81 does get cover of the week. It is by Francesco Mattina. You got to see it for yourself. And I know I'm talking about visuals on a podcast, but uh, if you look in the thumbnails and any of my social media, there will definitely be pictures of this cover posted for sure and the vanity pictures and all that good stuff. So, or, or, or you could just go to a fucking store and buy it and you can have your own copy. Uh, How's that? Do that. I suggest that. Interiors of the week. Oh, man, no one, everything was good. Everything was good this week, but I, it's got to go to the Stegman again, dude. Fucking absolute carnage. That, that fucking ending. Venom with wings, I think, is the coolest thing to come out of Marvel Comics visually in a long time. To me, I compare the new version, of Donny Cates' full-blown Venom, to how badass DC's Batman Who Laughs is. That's the level I put those type of visuals on. And if you've been reading Venom, you know that we haven't got to see that in a long time since the first few issues of Venom. You know, the Venom separated from Eddie and shit. So to get that again in the, this new magnitude and the situation that it's in, fuck. And it's not just that. It's Ryan motherfucking Stegman is... It, I mean, absolutely in the top three Marvel's best pencilers, if not the best. It's, yeah, he's, he's amazing. So, if, if and that's why I also said that if, if there's one tie-in that needs to be made that's not going to be made, it is just a Stegman silent pan, or a silent book, 20, fuck, 30 pages if you want. I'll pay $10 for 30 silent pages of Stegman and some sort of Hulk fighting carnage or Venom finding carnage or something finding carnage type of situation because god damn is this dude really blowing everybody's mind. There's no one out there. There's no one out there that can deny that his art isn't superb. <sighs> so my top acknowledgement of the week is uh, go and it's uh, got to give you know a story of the week the overall thing that I enjoyed the most that I feel that y'all should not miss out on is this J.J. Abrams and Henry Abrams Spider-Man story. Issue number two of Spider-Man is freaking fantastic. I did not expect much going into this story. And, you know, I I thought the first issue was cool. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoyed it very much. I did not think that I would be enjoying the second issue nearly this much. I was... So it's fun. It feels like, honestly, more your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is what I gather out of this, just in a, you know, with a twist. And I highly recommended. The most recommended book of the week as far as story goes, for sure. So that does it. That's 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 what I got to talk about for comics this week. Stay tuned. There will be more. I would like to invite you to support this podcast on Patreon, though. You listeners, new listeners, old listeners, let me know how you feel. And, uh, you know, money, numbers don't lie. <laughs> money doesn't lie, that's for sure. Uh, when you By becoming a Patreon, I have several different tiers to choose from. And I, I, I think I'm going to do a little bit of revampage action on it, too. I've got some more ideas. But you get your bang for your buck, you do. The, the value is there, I promise. It, it really is. So hop on Patreon, let me know that you're listening, that you enjoy this content, and 
And as I see that Patreon growth, I will continue to revamp those those tiers and packages to make sure that y'all are getting even more for your money. Maybe I'll do some exclusive content and stuff. I, I've been kind of kicking that over because I've got all these ideas and I kind of have this format I want to stick to and i got more ideas than I do time slots. So, yeah. Uh, let me know. Let me know if that's something you're interested in. Uh, the other way is non-fiscal. You don't have to take any money out of your pocket. Perhaps a couple of moments, though. And that's just to leave a review. Uh, drop a review wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's iTunes or wherever. There's usually some sort of way to leave feedback, and it really does help. As uh, petty as it may seem to y'all, for one, I, I truly appreciate you taking that time. Nobody appreciates the value of a minute like I do. Believe me. So by doing that, I am forever grateful but at the same time it also helps in the rankings and it allows you know when rankings go up other listeners or that may not have had access or the means to be able to find this they're able to find it and then we continue to grow and then yeah you see how this all works out so yes uh if you want to reach out to the podcast i suggest you do so at cheers to comics on twitter find me on facebook and it's the cheers to comics podcast on instagram as well that's why I'll be dropping all types of cool artwork as I go through and read my, my favorite books of the week. So follow me on there. Stay tuned. Get updated. All that good stuff. And reach out. I do read the comments. And I do take feedback seriously. So if there's something that I'm not talking about that y'all want to hear about, don't be shy. Don't be shy. There's books that I do pick up just for specific readers now. Uh, that's, that's how much I care about people making sure that they get the content that they want. This is the podcast that I would want. It's not out there yet. And if it is out there, let me know, and I'll just quit doing this and listen to theirs. So, just kidding. I would never do that. Now, thank you so much, you slurds, for tuning in. Y'all, motherfuckers, read responsibly. Support your LCS. Cheers, fuckers. Good day. I'm Ken. And I'm Steve, and we're the hosts of the Nerd Cantina Show, where nerd culture and society intersect. Whether you come for entertainment news or some space and science talk, we are here to keep you informed on weekly nerd topics and discuss how they affect us as a society. As well as having in-depth interviews in our Cantina Conversation and Fight Me Fridays. Just like any cantina, we want you to join in on the conversation. From our blog at thenerdcantina.com, our voicemail line, or our closed Facebook group at thenerdcantina.com forward slash community, where we really get to interact with our fans. So pull up a and get involved in our community.